This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, time for our crack strategy panel. And it turns out there's one thing some Canadian politicians of all stripes have in common. Hypocrisy. Do as I say, not as I do. The count of politicians who traveled over the holidays while telling the rest of us to sacrifice and stay put is now at about 20. Some have lost their jobs, notably Ontario Finance Minister Rod Phillips and Alberta's Municipal Affairs Minister Tracy Allard, who took a holiday to Hawaii while she was the person in charge of the vaccine rollout there. Gotta wonder. Speaking of vaccine rollout, it has been slow. We will deal more with that in the next half hour. So will there be more fallout from these Christmas lapses? Will they affect how we deal with this terrible second wave? And south of the border, that crucial runoff election in Georgia that will determine which party controls the Senate is on. So if you'd like to weigh in on these things, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I would like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, and John Delacorte, a Liberal Strategist and Vice President with Hill and Knowlton Strategies. Hello and welcome to you all. Happy New Year, Libby. Happy New Year to you. I guess we can say that all week. (laughs) Although the mood isn't isn't the same as last year, I must say. It isn't? I'm going to say it every day. Okay, well, yeah, hopefully. It it does seem a bit same old, same old. I'm going to start with with, uh, John. So uh, uh, since I was last talking to you guys, we had the uh, resignation of Rod Phillips while I was on holiday. And now it turns out that, you know, politicians of all parties have been doing the same thing in Alberta. Jason Kenney said, oh, I can't fire my people because I didn't expressly say you shouldn't travel overseas while telling everybody else not to. And, and there was such outrage that he had to. And the minister who took a vacation in Hawaii was supposedly in charge of the vaccine rollout. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. And, and I must say, you know, Rod, I've known Rod and Rod's a friend and I've known him since we were both in youth politics. And, and you never want to see a friend go through this kind of um, agony and, and pain, although, you know, he did admit self-admittedly that, that it was a, a bad decision and an error in judgment, which, of course, you know, I'm, I'm sure he would regret he would he would change if he had uh, if he had to do it over again. Um, but what it did is it illustrated sort of the the the, the problem that voters, Canadians see with, with our politicians, and that is, you know, uh, rules for thee, but not for me. Uh, and, and I'm surprised that, that we are seeing the amount of politicians who are doing this, especially because 
you know, we saw south of us in the U.S., a lot of the politicians, Democrats were getting in trouble, Republicans who who were, you know, mayors and governors and, and, and senators who were actually you know, bucking the system and getting themselves into trouble themselves. So, and that kind of news was percolating up here. So I'm surprised that we're seeing the, the amount of politicians who are doing it here in Canada. Uh, you know, Rod Phillips was, was sort of a, a test case because it was so high profile and, and it was so... Um, you know, egregious by, by what he did, and, and of course he admitted that he did, he made the mistake. But but I thought that the premier handled it well by by you know asking him to come back and, and accepting his resignation. Uh, and I think that is now a test case for all other provinces, and and we're also seeing it at the federal level as well, where we're seeing a number of politicians uh, from all parties who have who have now admitted that they've gone on vacation and are are losing their their portfolios, or losing their titles, and uh, in some cases losing their jobs. I think it's it's just something that we're going to see a lot more of. Politicians can't be dictating to Canadians uh, and to their voters that you know that they have to stay home and do sacrifices while they're going away. It just it just can't be done. And I think the what we're seeing by way of ramifications is probably justified. Well, and particularly nauseating, and we saw it in the uh, Conservative leader in the Senate is is. Uh, uh, recording a fireside chat with eggnog and gingerbread houses uh, and telling everybody to sacrifice while you're actually off somewhere else. Karen, what's your take on, on the whole thing as as somebody who has sacrificed? Yeah, and I, I think that's it, Libby. Like, I think that it's a cascade effect. And, you know, I think that people, um, if your business was closed, you were frustrated, um, if you, you know, you see 64,000 people coming into Pearson Airport every day, uh, leading, you know, to the spread, and then you're frustrated, and then you hear that the vaccination clinics are closed over the holidays, and you get frustrated. But you're not really, you know, you have no one to be angry at. But, but, you, but it's building. It's like, why isn't, why isn't, like, why can't we get this? Why doesn't this? This is making sense. And then you have politicians traveling to St. Barts or Hawaii, <laughs> and then you, there's a there's a focus for the anger. And so, whether or not Rod Phillips should have been the focus of all our anger, probably not. But if, if things had been going better, if the numbers had been down, if the nursing homes weren't, uh, again, being impacted by the second wave, if the vaccination strategy was, was rolling out with more haste, I, I think people would have forgiven him taking a holiday because the man's been working hard for the last eight months, as have we all. But, but the fact that we are sacrificing and we're not seeing the benefits from our personal sacrifice and that then the politicians are, are then going off and doing something else, and we're not asking them to be held at a higher standard. We're just being asked to be held at the standard that we're asked to be held for. And so, you know, personally, I think that just because of all of the the things leading up to the revelation that he's been off in St. Bart's, unfortunately, he was the target of, of quite a bit of frustration and anger percolating around a lot of other issues. Well, apparently the the anger in Alberta was off the charts, and that's because you know Jason Kenney said, "I I can't I can't fire these people." Uh, John Delacourt, what's your take? Well, I think it's this. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, in the violent agreement, <laughs> John and Kara, this this is this is uh, I think uh, as it's been uh, I think best phrased political for tonight, but simply for John, I'm I'm going to interrupt you because we're having a very uh, hard time hearing you on your line. I don't know if you're a speakerphone, but uh, I'm going to let Zeev deal with it, and, and and hopefully we can get that sorted out because we can't really hear what you're saying. Um, sure. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, um, John Capobianco, 
one of the things that really struck me about the whole Rod Phillips thing is, uh, and I, I believe that he, he should have been fired for it, uh, is that what he triggered was outrage. But then when you have a minister like Marilee Fullerton, who has demonstrated complete incompetence, she's hanging on. Well, but I think that, you know, and that, that's a matter of opinion, I think, would be in some cases. I think I know there's a lot of groups that might be upset at, at how the minister has been handling things. I think that there are others who feel that she is trying to deal with a problem that has been systemic and has been and has been a, an issue for for many 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 years over many governments and and notwithstanding the fact that that you know the the, the long term care uh, homes are still suffering and and unfortunately are, are getting a hit harder in the second wave uh, it's not as if she's sitting at home doing nothing she is working. Uh, her backside off and, and working with government to try to make sure that money is being filtered in there, that the support is getting out there, that vaccines are getting to those folks as much as possible. So it's a different scenario when you're, when you're a minister working on an issue and a problem versus a minister or a politician who is telling their voters, you know, one thing as far as sacrificing and then they're not doing it themselves. That there's a difference between that. And, and I think that's where the line of, of, you know, ramifications for for ministers that that are are not are saying one thing and doing another but others who are trying to do their best of what they're what they've been dealt with uh you know not to say that that there aren't people legitimately frustrated with with the minister and with what's been happening but she is out there every day trying to do what she can to try to fix the problem that has been a systemic problem i i i have to uh disagree with some of that analysis because if you look right next door in quebec which was way worse in the first wave, they took the opportunity of that break we had in the summer to fix certain things that we did not take. Now, it could be that she's not powerful enough in cabinet to get some money, but there's two aspects. There's all the systemic things, which she seems to be addressing. You know, we're going to have four hours a day in four years, whatever, but the emergency has not been addressed. While in Quebec, they put in rapid training, they paid people to train. They made sure every nursing home had uh, one person whose job it is to to maintain infection control. And you're not seeing what we're seeing here. Just my perspective. I was going to say, Karen, Karen has a, a lot more to say on this because she actually has her father in, in a long-term care facility. and, and in Retirement home, yeah, that's yeah, different. Or, yeah, it, but, but it can speak with it with some, some level of, of, of heart and, and, and experience. But, but I'm, not dis, I'm not disagreeing with that. Like I said, there are people who are, disagree, or who are upset at the minister for some of her actions. But when you mentioned the question regarding why she's not fired and why others are, I just made the point of there's a difference between those politicians uh, in the category of Rod Phillips and the minister of of uh, municipal affairs in, in Alberta versus what what people might might disagree with with Minister Fullerton. Uh, Karen, well, I, I think there's no question that the steps that needed to be taken over the summertime weren't taken because we have a second wave, and again, it's back in the nursing homes and the long term care facilities and the retirement homes, and so it does beg the question: Okay, what did we not learn in wave one to apply to wave two? And it's not just one operator; it's it, again, it's systemic. So to your point, they, they did look in Quebec, okay, what do we need to bring in to make sure that this doesn't happen again? And we didn't do that in Ontario. And when all is said and done, you know, I, I was one of the ones who said, I don't think we need an inquiry because we need to move with more haste to get these solutions in in time. But, but I do think that when the dust settles on this, that we do need an inquiry to say, what happened that we didn't learn from the first wave 
to mitigate these horrific consequences in the second wave. Because it, from my perspective, that, I mean, there's things that we're learning now, of course, but, but we already knew that in the first wave. We already knew that the nursing homes and the retirement homes and long-term care facilities were exceptionally vulnerable. So how did we possibly let that happen again? Because we didn't do it. And, and I have to say, John, that throughout the summer, I kept asking to speak to the people in charge to ask, why aren't we doing what Quebec is doing? Why are we not doing this? And, uh, you know, in most cases, they didn't even bother answering the requests. And I think it's it's just a general reflection of the ageism uh, that pervades our whole society. I'm not pinning it on any party or any uh, politicians, that it's one thing to get up there and and make a, a very emotional statements, but, but there's a certain kind of a patronizing attitude. And I will say in Quebec, they dealt with it. And I'm sure it cost big bucks right now, not big bucks in four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and Libby, I, I'll say that. And, and, I, and listen, I do agree. I, I think that what we've seen uh, since the pandemic and the light that it shone with respect to nursing homes and, and long-term care uh, was was appalling, and and sort of the 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 fact that so many lives have been lost, and and the the care workers and frontline workers dealing with those issues were put at risk. Um, I do think that you know moving forward, uh, dealing with it now and dealing with it beyond, I don't think that long term care is ever going to get uh, the second class, uh, uh, you know perspective or attention that it got in previous governments. I think that long-term care is going to be a single ministry. It's going to be with somebody who's senior and seasoned, uh, and it's going to be as as important a ministry as any other ones, because no one is going to be patient enough to have this thing happen again, uh, especially when this pandemic is is uh, is over with and we get to a new normal. I think that the focus on long-term care is at cabinet tables across the province and across the country uh, is going to get the attention that it deserves. Uh- John, I, I hope you're right. But given what happened between the first wave and the second here, it's, it's hard to believe that. I'd like to get a take from John Delacourt. We have him back on a good line. Hey, hey John. <laughs> hey there, Libby. Um, yeah, I, you know, everything that uh, John is saying by way of, uh, governments, I think effectively, uh, creating this as a new priority and as, and, 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 and I think heightening the urgency around dealing with this. That's, of course, uh, at a federal level, at a provincial level, that has to be, has to be the focus of, of any cabinet committee focused on this pandemic right now. And, and, and moving forward, of course, I think, uh, there, there will be, um, due diligence and, uh, and, and hopefully some, some mechanism for greater accountability, much like an inquiry that, uh, Karen has mentioned. Um, you know, with this, uh, I, I can tell you, you know, I had a, uh, my father passed away in long-term care and, um, Oh, I'm and, sorry to hear that. And and I can tell you that this is, you know, um, these these impacts. Um, I, I think we're, we're going to see this as just a part of like an aging demographic uh, in Ontario, but also across the country, where this is just going to be. Uh, I think the focus of, of of what what are priorities where governments are actually communicating effectively to Canadians that they're getting 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 things done. Um, and and so because of that, I see this uh, in. As, as probably the sleeper issue to come out of this pandemic. Well, we'll see. Uh, I'm going to take a couple of calls. We have uh, listeners who want to talk about our traveling politicians. Tony in Keswick. Hi, Tony. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon. Sorry, guys. Yeah, the, the traveling politicians, that's exactly the right word for it. But um, I got a friend of mine who used to become a grandpa. 
for the first time in uh, his son's in Ireland, being a doctor. Uh, he's got one more year left. And he couldn't be there for the birth of his, his grandson. He wanted to go, it, it, him and his wife. And uh, they sat here just to be good Canadians. You know, we are good Canadians. We do what we're told. And then the politicians, I don't know what they are, because I don't think they're Canadian, because they do what they want to do, not what they're told to do or what they tell people to do. Um, I got my, my, my cousin's brother just passed away in Italy, and he wanted to go down, and he couldn't go. So I'm just saying to you, that's a slap in the face to all these people that are, are, are doing this due diligence of, of staying home, doing what they're told. And then these idiots, and they are idiots, go out there and uh, idiots come in all form, uh, educated idiots, non-educated idiots, and political idiots uh, <laughs> go and do this, you know. That's uh, that, I, I, that's very I, I, illuminating, I, Tony. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Okay. okay. Well, uh, yeah, we here are not idiots, Tony. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Uh, let's hear from Marianne in North York. Hi, Marianne. Hi. How are you today? Uh, fine. How are you? Love your show. Thank you. So, what I've got to say is shame on every one of those politicians. It's disgusting. Not only should they be all tossed to the curb. They should all be given a hefty fine. As I've said on the show before, my husband's been 10 months in um, in a nursing home. He has early signs of dementia. Before COVID hit, I took him out all the time, days, out up north just for a beautiful drive. 10 months he has not seen outside. He's in a tiny room with a television. And I travel and visit him sitting there. All I'm hearing is he wants to go for a nice long drive. And these idiots do this? Are you kidding me? Shame on every one of them. I hear you, Marianne. And uh... I was ill over it. Not only is my husband suffering, I'm suffering through this. It's disgusting. I, I hear you. Um, Sorry, I, I'm yelling. That's <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you can feel the passion, maybe with uh, with respect to, to Marianne, and yeah. and I would I would say you know, and, I, and I'm sorry to hear Marianne's uh, husband is, is is suffering, and but but also the, just the, the the comments that Marianne and Tony both have with respect to their their disdain for the politicians. That's the visceral reaction. Yeah, that that is being that's out there and legitimately so because everyone in some way, shape or form is suffering or sacrificing uh, and to go to these locations that everybody would, would have loved to have gone to over Christmas. That's why there's that legitimate frustration. And I think that political leaders are going to be judged. Uh, based on how they reacted to those. And, and I think what we're seeing is is the fact that the Premier Ford reacted so quickly and decisively with Rod Phillips, and we're seeing that, that you know, maybe not so much with Premier Premier Kenny, although he's now made the decision and he's also fired his own chief of staff, that, that, that there, is, there is that payback or that ramification now for anybody that has transgressed these kinds of rules, and that's now a standard. Oh, speaking of chief of staff, uh, Ford's uh, head of communications also traveled outside the province. She wasn't anywhere exotic, but uh, she traveled presumably to see her family, Ivana Yelich. Um, no consequence there, I don't think. Should there be? Who is that? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Karen, should there be a consequence? Oh, I went. Where did she travel? Did, was she in Canada or did yeah. she travel? Oh, yeah, Saskatchewan. To Saskatchewan, yeah. I, you know, I, so I, I don't, I don't know all the details of that travel and whether or not it was uh, approved in advance. But you know, I, I think the most damaging aspect of it is the level of public trust that gets eroded 
when yeah. there seems mm-hmm. to be two rules. Because the reality is, up until now, um, people have largely been doing what they've been told to do. Um, but now we see people gathering, we see people not paying as much attention to the rules. And it's not, um, it's not just the, 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 the barbecue fellow that's, you know, op- selling things in the parking lot. It's actually, um, you know, people playing cards, uh, getting, having get-togethers. Like, because, because there's a question, well, uh, you know, why should I trust that message from the pub- politicians? Why should I trust in this anymore? Um, you know, what does it mean to do the right thing? Because if, I, if someone can go to St. Bart's, why can't I play cards with my friends? Yeah. And so once that public trust begins to erode, that is the most dangerous, dangerous thing that gets lost in managing this pandemic. Uh, John Delacorte, is there a difference uh, between people who went on luxury holidays on the beach and uh, there were some politicians that left for family reasons? They had sick relatives. Nikki Ashton had a sick relative in Greece or, or funerals. Um, uh, is, does that give them a pass? Because regular folks who have those same issues uh, haven't been able to travel for those uh, reasons. You know- I think you've just answered that. Regular folks haven't been able to travel, and they've been sacrificing throughout this pandemic. Uh, there is no difference. There's no, no nuance here. There certainly is nuance in terms of how it's been managed uh, from a communication standpoint. But, but to be honest with you, um, for most Canadians, and I think our, our callers are indicative of this, um, this, this is a flashpoint. Um, for uh, and, and, it, and it speaks to privilege and a sense of entitlement and, and, and ultimately a, a tone deafness to uh, how much Canadians are sacrificing and trying their best to manage through this pandemic and taking, of course, considerable economic sacrifices, personal sacrifices. Um, so uh, unfortunately, from a political standpoint, uh, to John's point, you have to you have to the bleeding as quickly as possible. Show that you're 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 being as accountable as possible. And I think that's why um, Kenny's government has faltered, and um, and why um, uh, you know. Uh, in contrast, I think uh, Ford's government, with their effective decision um, with Rod Phillips, um, I think will ultimately you know um, recover uh, some of that political trust and that political capital. Okay, um, should we move along to Georgia? <laughs> is there a song that way <laughs> you don't want me to sing john uh, believe me you do not Charles want me to in? sing i think charles is going to call in <laughs> is charles going to call in yeah <laughs> he picked the wrong time to be away uh, that's that's a little bit of an inside baseball uh joke but john capobianco i mean i don't know it seems like a toss-up it's very hard to know we we have uh Trump. I mean, there were new revelations this week where it sounded like he basically tried to get another Republican, the guy in charge of elections, to um, to uh, find him 12,000 more votes. Uh, and uh, thank goodness they didn't do that. But, you know, what the heck is going on there? Well, all eyes are on Georgia today, for sure. Uh, it, it, is, it is a hugely important election for uh, for our American friends, um, for a number of reasons, not least of which, of course, it, it gives if, if the Democrats, uh, for some reason are able to take, to take those two Senate seats away from the Republicans and they go to, to the Democrats, then they have complete control 
of uh, not only of, of Congress, but the presidency and, and, uh, and of the Senate. And that just gives uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris that much more power, of course, because they don't have to worry about the Senate being split. Um, interestingly enough, though, I think, you know, it, it is tighter than, than most people predicted. Georgia has always been a red state. And of course, red in the U.S. is, is, is Republican. And, and it's caused them so much uh, consternation, um, given the fact that the, the, the president lost Georgia to Joe Biden for the first time in I don't know how many years. And now you've got this race that is so tight. And that's why we're seeing so many Republicans, including the president, who was there last night uh, for a rally. And we saw President President-elect Biden there as well to help his, his fellow uh, candidates. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It is an important election for sure. Uh, the Democrats need to win both to uh, to, to, to re- remain or to get control of, of the Senate. Uh, and I, I think everyone's going to be watching it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the results are going to be myself. <laughs> yeah, it should be entertaining, Karen. Yeah, I think that um, what's interesting is that the Republicans now, some Republicans are coming out and, uh, and again, um, asking the public to have faith in the electoral system um, because they're worried that if people don't have faith in it, particularly Republicans, then there'll be voter suppression and the Republicans won't go out and cast ballots. So Trump you know, all of his antics may, in fact, end up backfiring on the Republican Party. And so now there is a push to say, no, it is legitimate. No, it is. You need to come vote. Don't worry. It's like this is a, everything has been done to ensure the process, because the last thing you want is Republicans sitting home thinking it's rigged anyway. Well, uh, it's interesting that one of the reasons that the Democrats are so strong there, Stacey Abrams, a defeated candidate, went on a massive push. She had an organization to bring out black voters. And uh, it's it's worked really well. And, the, you know, there's a lot of voter suppression in the states, the things that they demand. Um, so um, that part of it is really interesting. So old fashioned grass, grassroots political organization. It, it works, John Delacorte. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's, it's put a, a, I think a new focus on, on, uh, on that ground game. Uh, and, 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 you know, to, in some respects, as John was saying here, you know, this is a bedrock uh, Republican uh, state and has been, you know, since time immemorial. Yet, um, I think that um, a couple of factors that are, are, are weighing heavily on this, of course, is the split in the Senate. You know, um, these two seats are decisive. Um, now, you know, arguably, um, you still need um, like 60, 40 in terms of major legislation um, you know, for Congress to pass. But ultimately, you know, this um, this 50-50 split with Kamala Harris's vote um, being decisive for any of the uh, of the signature pieces of, of the Biden mandate, um, that is going to be, I think, that's the motivating factor for most of the Democrat ground game organization uh, to, to be have laser focus on 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 these two races. So in that sense, you know, um, the, I think voter turnout. Uh, what we've seen um, is over the last 24 to 48 hours, suggests that, uh, you know, when there are there's a higher percentage, Democrats usually benefit. So that should be a strong indication that, that Biden has less to worry about. However, however, <laughs> you know, there is, as we saw with the result of the, the election uh, <laughs> writ large, there's, there's still a, you know, there's a strong uh, support base there for Trump and the Republican Party that is, I think uh, it's a daunting challenge for the Democrats. 
Okay. Um, we're basically out of time, but I'm going to give each of you 20 seconds with what you'd like to leave us with for the rest of the week. John Capobianco. Uh, Team Canada all the way for the gold against uh, against the USA uh, tonight. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that game. And uh, I, they've got one of the best teams uh, I've seen in, in, in years uh, playing uh, for Team Canada. So I'm, I'm proud of our, of our guys, and I look forward to their winning the gold cup tonight. Okay, Karen? Very good. I... I believe that the government really needs to show uh, sustained progress on the vaccine rollout in order to regain that public trust. And if there continues to be hiccups and uh, backsteps, then it will be harder and harder and harder to get the public on board and keep them on board. Oh, and Karen, you've you've put a perfect lead into uh, to my next segment, which is on the vaccine rollout. Uh, and John Delacourt, 20 seconds. I have to second that entirely. Uh, it's all about the vaccine rollout of what we can do uh, to get uh, these shots in the arms of, of vulnerable Canadians as quickly as possible. And that's uh, that's what that's going to be the focus up here in Ottawa this week, too. OK. Uh, and on that note, thank you so much, John Delacourt, Karen Stintz and John Capobianco. And we will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Libby. Thank you. Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.